Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Young, Black, and Opinionated. I'm your host, Christina Royster. Make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at The YBO Podcast. Today's episode is a Black history lesson, y'all. It's Black History Month, and I was just compelled to tell this story because I watched a three-part docuseries on Amazon. It was an Amazon original docuseries, so make sure you check that out. It's called Fat Tuesdays, the era of hip-hop comedy. And so this was a story and really a cultural moment that I had never even heard of, I was never aware of. Maybe it's because of my generation, but most likely probably because of my location. Because in order to tell this story, I have to take y'all back to 1990s. 1990s LA, okay? So we're going back, I'm going, going, back, back. (laughs) Yeah, stay tuned because I'm gonna tell you guys all about Fat Tuesdays, the era of hip hop comedy. So as I said, my main source for this whole story, I basically was just watching a docu-series and taking notes while I was watching. So again, make sure you check out Fat Tuesdays. It's a three-part docu-series on Amazon Prime Video. And they basically had every black comedian you can think of. Everybody was in this interview. Um, Actually, not Eddie Murphy, but everybody else. Literally, they had like Chris Rock. They had... um, What you call, they had Dave Chappelle. We'll get into it. But our story starts with a guy named Guy. His name is Guy Tory, okay? So it's 1990s, early 1990s, and Guy Tory, you know, he was living out in St. Louis. That's where he's from. He's from St. Louis. And Guy Tory was, you know, young in his 20s, and he played sports, but he was never good enough to go pro or anything. And so he was basically at a crossroads, like, what do I want to do in my life? So he decided to, what does any younger sibling do? Follow his older brother, Joe, to LA. So Joe Torrey was already like kind of an established comedian making a name for himself out there. And so his brother decided to follow his big brother out to LA. So once Guy Torrey comes to town and stays with Joe, he works his way up from a production assistant on Martin to a writer he started out in the mailroom and then worked his way up to like writing episodes. Like he really took off. And so by 1995, Guy has some credits under his belt and he realizes there's a lot of gifted people, but nowhere for black comedians to showcase their talents because at that time, really his brother Joe was the only one who really had a a consistent slot at, at a club or something like that. So Guy says, how can I make a space for my fellow black comedians, my fellow peers. And Guy's manager talks to the GM at the Comedy Store. The Comedy Store is a predominantly white club on Sunset Boulevard at this time. And so they decided to throw him a bone and they gave him Tuesdays. They said that back then, Mondays, Thursdays, Fridays, maybe Saturdays, those were the popping nights for comedy clubs. And so... Um, they said, let me give the black people Tuesday night. Okay, so that's strike one. They want to give us the lame night. Okay, whatever. You guys know black people, we can we can make some lemonade out of some lemons. Shoot, we can make some Kool-Aid out of some lemons some way, somehow. And so they also gave them the smallest room because this club essentially had different rooms with different stages and they gave them the belly room. So yeah, y'all, the black people were in the underbelly. They were in the belly room. 
And Joe said, I mean, not Joe, sorry. Guy, I mix them up a lot because they do look alike and they almost look like twins and they only have a couple years between them. But Guy, the younger brother, he said on the documentary they had really no money to really get this event night started. Obviously, it was the 90s. There was no social media back then. But he said there were also no rules. There was no manual. He was like, they handed me a night, they gave me a room, and now I didn't know what to do. (laughs) And so he was like, I just made my own rules because there were no rules. And so (laughs) this is the funniest part to me. He ended up calling his comedy nights at the comedy store Fat Tuesdays because it was the 90s and Fat Farm was popular at the time. (laughs) That's it. He was like, that's, there's really no other explanation to the name. He was like, we made it P-H-A-T, Fat Tuesdays based off of Fat Farm because we were all rocking like the black fashion back then. And so that's how Fat Tuesdays came to be but let me just backtrack and tell you guys a little bit of the history as far as black people in comedy and really the black history of all this and why this is such a big cultural moment so let's go back to like the 1960s black comedians in the 60s did comedy for white people okay (laughs) they were not allowed to be blackity black they were not allowed to tell the jokes that they wanted if you wanted any FaceTime at all, if you wanted any stage time at all, you really had to whitewash your comedy. And the funny thing is one of the um, black comedians on the show, on the documentary, (laughs) he said, he basically put it like there was one nigga per decade. (laughs) The black comedy goats, you really only had like one nigga per decade. He said in the sixties, it was like Red Fox and um, you know, the, the seventies, it was like Richard Pryor and, and Paul Mooney. And then by the eighties, it was Eddie Murphy, but the 1990s with fat Tuesdays and guy Tory and everything that he did for his community, that is where we were introduced to multiple comedians at once. And it wasn't just one black guy running the show for a decade. And so back in the sixties and seventies, um, you know, the comedy store was a popular place on Sunset Boulevard and the comedy store was a very white establishment. Most of the white clubs were racist. As I said, they really didn't let black people perform like that. Um, and so in the seventies and eighties, the comedy store was owned by Mitzi Shore. She was a white woman and she was, she was still the same. She, she might've loved Richard Pryor like the rest of them, but at the end of the day, she wasn't really letting black people perform like that in her club. And so in the 1980s, we are introduced to Robin Harris. Do you guys remember Robin Harris? Robin Harris is the black comedian with the bug eyes. He has like bug frog eyes. He passed away um, at a young age, at the age of 36. But uh, Robin Harris, he played in, you know, House Party, Bebe's Kids, um, Mo Better Blues, Harlem Nights, Do the Right Thing. So uh, he was the most popular black comedian at that time in the 1980s. And so Robin Harris was denied by Mitzi Shore in the comedy store. I told you guys she wasn't having it. She actually told him like his comedy was too black. And so he decided to take his talents over to the Comedy Act Theater, which is basically on the other side of the town, <laughs> uh, in the black side of the town, not Hollywood, not walk the Hollywood Walk of Fame, not the comedy store. He took his talents over to the black club called the Comedy Act Theater. And that really gave it some buzz. It really lit the spark for the industry to be interested in black comedy because Robin Harris was basically their headliner. And so he generated 
that new wave of black comedy. And so that's the 80s. You know, we're, we're in the late 80s. We're getting into the 90s, right? And so everybody in this documentary described it as just such an awesome time, a melting pot where the, the Hollywood renaissance, they called it, this Hollywood renaissance that happened in the 1990s was just off the heels of the hip-hop renaissance. So you got black comedy, black hip-hop, everything going on at the same time. And so the Comedy Act Theater was actually inspired by the idea of Def Jam comedy. And they wanted it to be like a comedy hip-hop concert, essentially. And so I don't know if you guys have ever even been to a live comedy show, but I would say the last one I went to, to was probably Jay Farrow. Um, you know, the SNL actor Jay Farrow. He had a, um, a, a residency in Atlantic City, and I went to go see a show. That was a while ago, though. But the point is, they, they make it into a whole concert. You can't just have somebody up there telling jokes for 30 minutes. Really, realistically, Steve Harvey said on this documentary, he was on the documentary, he was like, if you really want to make a living doing comedy, you can't just do a 30-minute set for $75 a ticket. Like, you need to do an hour show, and you need to have a host, and you need to have music, and to really keep the vibes going in between jokes, right? And so they said that the Comedy Act Theater and what Robin Harris was doing proved that black comedy could put asses in seats. They didn't think that people wanted to hear black comedy. They didn't see the value in our talent. And black comedians, once Robin Harris opened that door at the Comedy Act Theater, black comedians didn't have to code switch anymore. That opened the door for Martin Lawrence, Chris Tucker, Cedric the Entertainer, Ricky Harris, the Wayans, Tommy Davidson, D.L. Hughley. I'm just naming the goats right now. And so somebody said that, they were now able to really show the black perspective. Not only that, but the new black perspective. Just like we have our little little revolutions and renaissances right now, us millennials and Gen Z, they were doing it. They were doing the damn thing back in the 1990s, okay? So they really had their new, youthful, young black perspective. And so they said everybody would show up to the Comedy Act Theater. They had Mike Tyson come out, Spike Lee, everybody would show up. It was really a who's who of black Hollywood. And so they actually started calling it Hollywood. <laughs> they said even white people came to laugh, black people came to laugh. It was just, it was just, that's the, that's the thing, right? Like everybody deserves a good laugh. And so, you know, Robin Harris was doing his thing, selling out every night. And as I said, Robin Harris did end up dying at the age of 36. He was, um, I think it was some heart failure or something like that. And, and so he died at the age of 36, so young, right at the prime, at the height of his career. He's doing the Comedy Act Theater. And they said that the Comedy Act Theater was really Robin's house, and it was never the same after that. The club tried to look for the next Robin Harris to fill that void. Um, it ended up being Joe Torrey. So Joe Torrey is Guy Tory's older brother. Joe Tory is more of the raunchy brother. Um, you know, he's go with the flow. Guy is more stick to the script. And so um, right when Joe Tory was starting to take over, here's a history lesson within a history lesson. We had the LA riots over the Rodney King verdict. So, you know, during this time, comedians were still trying to do their thing. But as I said, they were trying to, give the black perspective. And so they would essentially flip news headlines to take the stress off of people. That's all it is, you know? And today, you know, in comedy, we talk about 
what can you say? What can't you say? Is it too soon? Maybe you shouldn't make that joke. But at the end of the day, they were just trying to make people feel better about their shitty situation, which was the Rodney King verdict in the LA riots. And so obviously there was looting, there were fires and all of this was basically happening on the, happening on the side of town, right around the comedy act theater. And so they didn't have a lot of black events on that side of town anymore. Nobody wants to go to that side of town. And you know, back then, basically casting directors and agents, they would come out to the comedy shows and take notes and, and, and scout people. Cause as I said, there was no social media, <laughs> there was no social media. And so those scouts and Hollywood folks, they didn't want to come over to that side of the town anymore after the riots. And so Guy Tory was like, how can we, if Hollywood don't want to come to the hood, the hood gonna have to go to Hollywood. That's exactly what he said on the documentary. And so we're back to where we started, right? Guy Tory, you know, worked on Martin, got some credits under his belt, finagled his way into the comedy store. I told you guys the comedy store was so racist and didn't allow, it's not that they didn't allow black people, but if you were a black comedian, Dave Chappelle sat on this documentary, you basically had to bust tables in order to get five minutes on stage. And he wasn't here for that shit. And I wouldn't be either. Like we just need our own space. Right. And so this is what Guy said. Guy said that <laughs> him and his brother Joe were living together and they had a roommate named Cherry Popper. And he was <laughs> he was a black male stripper. And so Cherry Popper became their sound guy and their promoter for Fat Tuesdays. <laughs> they also had just their buddies, like big black guys as security. And they became, you know, household names and celebrities in their own right. And even the hostesses, they said that they had all the women at the door. So they had, you know, hot young black women in the 90s as hostesses seating and greeting. This one hostess was on the documentary. She said it got freaky. She used to hook up with NBA players in the VIP booth. Because as I said, it was really the who's who. Everybody would come out to this thing. And so um, they said that, okay, here's my notes. I'm reading my notes, y'all. It says, open the door for black comedians in Hollywood, period. That's the point of this story that I want to make for you guys. That the if it were not for Fat Tuesdays, a lot of the comedians that you know and love today would not have gotten their start. And so it was really the who's who of comedy. Celebrities would come through. They said Warren G would come a lot. <laughs> and they said it was a similar energy to the Comedy Act Theater but for younger people, their own space, you know, the comedy act theater was like your dad in the eighties. Now it's fat Tuesdays. And so nine months later, ironically, I know it takes nine months to, to birth something. Nine months later, they moved from that small room, the belly room to the main room. And they were, they said that the maximum number of people for the belly room was like 89 and they probably had a hundred in there. So now they were, they fat Tuesdays was outgrowing the space that they were given. And so, now we're getting to LA, the late 1990s. Regina King said everything from the black film, fashion, music. She said on this documentary, like, we could go to the movies and know that we would see ourselves now. It was just a totally different era. Everything was just so culturally ignited. It was just awesome. And so they said that people in other neighborhoods started hearing about Fat Tuesdays. And so people were coming from Chicago, Detroit, New York, to go to Fat Tuesdays. And Fat Tuesdays made black comedy sexy. After doing a set at Fat Tuesdays, J.B. Smooth says he landed a deal on the Chris Rock show that catapulted his career. Um, let me just uh, give you guys 
a little bit of JB Smooth's um credentials. He was on Curb Your Enthusiasm, the Spider-Man movies, Almost Home, Pootie Tang, Uncle Drew, Barbershop. You know who he is. And so he said everything just started steamrolling after performing at Fat Tuesdays. And that's really the story that everybody had to say. It was like once they got their shot at Fat Tuesdays, basically you had to go up there and prove yourself. You really had to go prove yourself. And so once they got their shot and scouts and casting directors saw them perform at Fat Tuesdays, they just skyrocketed from there. And so Snoop Dogg said, Fat Tuesdays was like a melting pot for genius shit. You couldn't be weak in there. Like as a comedian, he was saying, you had to have your shit together. You're not getting on stage as an amateur. Like you better be funny because they will heckle you. Black people will heckle you. (laughs) And, um... Dave Chappelle, like I said, I wrote down the notes that Dave Chappelle said black guys were working odd jobs and bussing tables for Missy Shore in order to perform at the comedy store. And so Dave Chappelle said, Guy was not like that. Guy was easygoing. He was funny. He was a community member. He really wanted to bring the hood to Hollywood. He he curated, they said he curated a great crowd of eclectic people from gangsters to black business professionals. He got it because he was one of them, you know? He didn't get up there like, oh, I'm trying to make all this money for my comedy night. He really wanted to put his friends on. And so um, he did just that. Some some lady said on the documentary, it was the only long line of black people on Sunset Boulevard. So you knew where you were going that night. If you saw a long line of black people, you made it. You're at Fat Tuesdays. <laughs> and, um, you know, this was interesting to me. Tiffany Haddish reminded us on the documentary, she said, Quincy Jones once said that comedy and music go together hand in hand. It's all about keeping the tempo, the cadence, the rhythm, making sure it's fun, touching people's souls. And so when I first started this documentary, I was like, hip hop comedy, what exactly is that? And now it all makes sense. Like hip hop and comedy really are one in the same, just different art forms. They both require swagger, a certain cadence. On the documentary, they said some of the rappers you know could be comedians. And some of the comedians could be rapper. Like black people are just so talented that we cross lanes. And I think I recently saw a video of T.I. doing stand-up at the Laugh Factory. So I believe it. It's true. Like now it makes sense. You, you I, Think back to, think about Wild and Out. Think about Wild and Out. Think about Deft Comedy Jam. They had a hip hop DJ turning the tables while they were doing comedy. Like it was just all in one. And so in the 90s, I told you guys, I said this on the podcast before, who was giving us our who was giving us our big break? Who was giving us our chance? HBO. <laughs> they said HBO was new and hot and wanted anybody that was funny. They were throwing anybody a show. Underground comedians were making waves, but nobody got to see it until Def Jam Comedy, until they put that on TV and they put it on the map. And then, I mean, think about it. Kid Capri on the ones and twos on Def Jam Comedy. It really is hip hop comedy. And they were saying that Russell Simmons, well, y'all know how I feel about Russell Simmons. I'm a little on the fence about him given the sexual allegations, but Russell Simmons and his partners, they really, um, they said they modeled Def Comedy Jam after um, Fat Tuesdays. So it was just really everybody collaborating and inspired by each other. And um, they said that the 1990s, we're introduced to everyone all at once. Remember I said that earlier, like before it was one nigga per decade and now it's 10 black comedians taking the world by storm, everything. Like it was just, 
that era with Bernie Mac, Steve Harvey, all of them coming up at the same time. Well, this makes perfect sense now because when I was watching Def Comedy Jam last year, I, I, re, I, I revisited Def Comedy Jam and I rewatched some episodes and I was like, dang, Steve Harvey and Bernie Mac were kind of old. For comedians, I'll say. Like, right now, when I'm telling you the story, Guy Tori is in his 20s. These guys were pushing 30. But it made me realize they were always out there doing the comedy. They just didn't have it publicized. They just didn't have the the means and, and the way. And now that, now that they did, we were able to discover all of them at once. And so... As I said, casting directors, they used to go to Fat Tuesdays, and, and one lady says she literally used to jot down names. All right, so Bernie Mac performed. He was hilarious, blah, blah, blah. Next day, she would hit these people up and be like, we're doing a movie. You want to be in this movie? I would love to be in a time back then because now the market is just so saturated and so crowded. It's so hard to get picked up. I wish you could still just impress somebody in a comedy club. But anyways, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, uh, Joe Torrey for a second because everybody basically said in this documentary like Guy came out here to like follow his brother but he ended up surpassing him and there is a bit of sibling rivalry there and so they said you know Joe Torrey was doing the whole um what you call it um hold on I gotta find my notes so Joe Torrey was doing the comedy act theater but what's that once the LA riots happened, you know, it was kind of, eh. so they, where am I? Do, 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 do. Joe Torrey became the host of Def Comedy Jam after Martin left. So Martin hosted Def Comedy Jam for seasons one through three, and then Joe Torrey took over. And so Joe and Guy described their relationship as strange, sibling rivalry, and they argue a lot. Joe wanted them to take over the world like the Wayans or the Jacksons. But friends say that they never really talk about each other much and they're total opposites and they really don't like each other. One guy was like, yeah, you know, I was with them and they were shooting the dozens and they were telling your mama jokes, but then it got serious. And then they were like, we have the same mom. And I realized, oh, these niggas actually hate each other. So these brothers don't necessarily see eye to eye on a lot. But um, they said that Mitzi loved Guy. And I want to point out that this woman was so racist, not giving black comedians a chance, but what happened when she gave the black people Fat Tuesdays? Fat Tuesdays was actually keeping the whole club afloat. They said the comedy store was dying. That club was minutes away from closing their doors. And Fat Tuesdays was the, the event that really brought in the most money. And so um, Guy Tory. He was, he was doing everything at this point. He was making a name for himself. He was getting big. Guy Tory was hosting a rap hip-hop show with Outkast. As I said, hip-hop and comedy, joining forces. And so Nick Cannon was a teen who won a contest to open up the show. And he said that's when his career goal shifted. He went there to be a rapper, to open for Outkast. But he saw Joe Tory host that thing and open that show and he said he was awestruck. Guy Tory put him on like that. He was only like 17 years old doing Fat Tuesdays. Not even allowed to be in the club, but Guy Tory put him on. Oh, they said what happened was um, Nick Cannon was like off in the wings or something waiting to go on. And Guy Tory like clapped back at him with a joke. And, and Nick Cannon turned it back to him and called him like a watered down or dehydrated Joe Tory or something. <laughs> And that's when Guy was like, okay, this guy's got it. And so Guy Tory put Nick Cannon on 
And he said he can't believe how Nick Cannon went from kid jokes at Fat Tuesdays to becoming a mogul. And obviously we know what Nick Cannon has done now with, um, you know, he said that Fat Tuesdays really actually was the model for Wild and Out. He just wanted to give his friends a platform and now he's put on a whole new generation of comedians. So we, we just, we, uh, everything goes back to Fat Tuesdays and I just didn't realize that. And so even Chris Tucker says, um, Chris Tucker was working in Atlanta. He moved to LA. And if you were a black comedian, it was basically like, oh, you gotta do Fat Tuesdays. Like if you don't do Fat Tuesdays, you're not nobody. You have to prove yourself. You have to do Fat Tuesdays. And so Chris Tucker, he said he went to do Fat Tuesdays and he knew he could get a movie deal if he performed at Fat Tuesdays. That's the way this place worked. He said he landed Friday, not long after doing uh, Fat Tuesdays. And we know how his career went off from there. And so um, a lot of the stories were hilarious because they were saying like, oh, one night at Fat Tuesdays, Tommy Davidson performed. And then, oh no, one night at Fat Tuesdays, a, a scout was there to see Guy Tory, but then Chris Tucker went on and Chris Tucker ended up landing the Fifth Element movie, not Guy Tory. So that's the way it worked, but it was all love. And they said that, you know, between HBO, UPN, CW, black people were hot, black comedy became mainstream in Hollywood. And so it's just crazy to me to think that like, I always thought, oh, Kings of Comedy, like they were just there. They were always there. They were always hilarious. But no, like even Cedric and Steve and Bernie all had to work their way up. And so they talked about how there were women in comedy and how Guy, he didn't discriminate. He let women get up there and do their thing. Melanie Camacho said that she was the only woman to ever host. Um, one time while uh, Guy was out of town, Melanie got to host Fat Tuesdays. There was also Monique, Leslie Jones, and especially Fat Tuesdays really opened the door for Flame Monroe, transgender comedian Flame Monroe. And so it was just beautiful to hear those stories. Like Guy was just a young black man who wanted to put his friends on and gave them a chance. And there were even white people who came out to Fat Tuesdays and they said, if you were white, we did not care. Black people would be just as ruthless if you were white. You better be on it. You better not bomb. And so they talked about Gary Owen. They actually had an interview with Bob Saget on the documentary, and we know that he has since passed. But they said that Bob Saget could get really raunchy and really ratchet. He used to get down at that Tuesdays. <laughs> and they said that if you weren't working on ABC, CBS, NBC, or Fox, Fat Tuesdays was really your only platform. And so now we have social media and comics have leveraged it to make a whole business out of it. You know, these social media comedians aren't just making little videos anymore. They're going on to make business deals. And Cedric says the ones who are serious about it, he specifically named Jess Hilarious and DC Young Fly. He said the ones who are serious about it are taking it off social and actually returning to the stage. Because I know that, you know, we have a lot of, social comedians nowadays but the money is still in touring and you need to get back to the stage you need to get back to live events but let me let me circle back to guy tory right right now so guy tory he also landed some deals some movies from fat tuesdays guy did american x his american history x in 1998 that was the uh crime drama about um a neo-Nazi. And this is when everybody was like, damn, like we didn't realize that guy could act as well. <laughs> so he was a comedian, but he also did this dramatic movie. And so he said that while he was doing the movie, 
This was the only time he ever let Joe host Fat Tuesdays. But Joe was not good at it. Joe was running late. He was buying drinks for everybody, running up the tab. And Guy was like, oh no, fuck that. You're not about to run my baby into the ground. So Guy eventually came back and they had one show where they went at it and took each other out on stage. And Guy had to fire Joe. (laughs) And Guy actually says, they had a heart-to-heart moment on the documentary though. And so Guy actually said his work ethic came from his insecurities he wanted to be the best he wanted to be as good as his brother Joe he wanted to live up to his brother Joe's name and so I know a lot of people think that guy essentially um you know went off and surpassed his brother because he did end up doing a lot of movies he hosted Kings of Comedy in 98 he uh was in the movie Life He wasn't Joe's little brother anymore. He surpassed him. He even got a bag and fixed his teeth. I wrote that in my notes because for some reason that was a topic of conversation in the documentary. (laughs) Cedric the Entertainer was like, are we talking about Guy Tori before the teeth or after the teeth? Because before he had crocodile teeth, they said he had spaced out teeth. He got some money, he got a bag and he fixed his teeth and he was really happy about it. He couldn't wait to show off those Denzel teeth. (laughs) So... They said that the brothers still love each other to this day. The comedy store is still up and running. They don't do Fat Tuesdays anymore because at this point, Guy said in the late 90s, he was hosting Fat Tuesdays. He was acting. He was doing his own stand-up tour. And he was recently married. So it was just a lot. And he said it was all too much. So after 10 years, he had to end Fat Tuesdays. So the black community and Hollywood as a whole got to experience Fat Tuesdays for a decade. They said it was really the end of an era. It did so much for the culture. The real legacy was elevating black comedy and birthing other black comedy rooms across the country. They said after the Comedy Act Theater and Fat Tuesdays, that's when you get Mo Better Mondays and all these other places popping up around Hollywood. They said that urban nights continue to make the most money at clubs and it keeps the doors open. And there's one last quote that I wanted to share from Dave Chappelle. If I can find it, I have so many notes in here. Dave Chappelle said, I'll leave it with this. Dave Chappelle said, Fat Tuesdays was an underrecognized cultural moment. It was very significant. This integration of Sunset Boulevard, it never went back after this. And that is the story of Fat Tuesdays, the era of hip hop comedy, and Guy Tory, a guy who just had a dream to put black comedians on, and it completely changed the comedy atmosphere and landscape as we know it for the rest of our lives. So shout out to Fat Tuesdays. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of Young Black and Opinionated. Remember to follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I've been sharing a lot of black history stuff. There's so many topics I wanted to cover on this episode, like Rihanna's baby, the um, Super Bowl's coming up with this blackity black halftime show with Kendrick and Eminem and Dre and Mary J. And then what else? There's just so much to talk about these days. The Washington Commanders, Pot Roast Discourse on Twitter. If you haven't seen that, I'll have to talk about that next episode. (laughs) So yeah, follow the podcast, subscribe, and I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Bye.